Uh, so we're going to continue our series in 1 John. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, I want to go ahead and invite you to the book of 1 John. If you don't have a Bible, there will be a Bible in the pew in front of you. Uh, that, that's a Bible that you can have, you can take home. That Bible, we here at Sunbury City Church, we want you to have God's Word in your hands. Uh, so we're, bit, we're in the book of 1 John. If you go all the way to the end of the Bible, book of Revelation, just flip a few pages back and you'll see 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. We're in the book of 1st John. We're in chapter 5. We're looking for the big, bold 5. So as you're flipping there, I want to give you a really obscure fact about me. I don't even know if Mandy knows about this fact. Um, I am someone who loves brain teasers. I mean, to my credit, although what Mandy may say, I do have a brain to tease. But specifically, I like riddles. There's, there's something about a riddle that, that's just, there's just no way there's an answer to this riddle. Like, this question is unfathomable. I think my love for riddles came in fifth grade. Every Friday, our teacher would give a riddle. And if you were the first student to answer the riddle correctly, you'll get like some candy or some kind of prize of that nature. Out of everything to, for me to remember throughout my entire school career, I remember one fifth grade riddle, I feel like. I want to share you this riddle, and I'm not going to give you the answer. I'll leave you in suspense. If you want to take a stab at it after church, come find me, and I'll let you know if you're right. But here it is. Here's the riddle. There was a man who was a traveler. He came across this beautiful mountain. And he's like, I'm going to climb that mountain. So he goes to this mountain and starts climbing it. Upon climbing the mountain, he discovers a village. A village that's been untouched by humans on the outside world. He was immediately welcomed and loved in the village. And they asked this traveler, will you come to dinner with us? The traveler said, of course. So he goes to dinner and he, he steps inside this massive room with this huge round table. The entire village is there, ready to eat dinner. They sit him at the head of the table and he sits down and they hand him his utensils. His utensils were three foot long chopsticks. He was getting extremely frustrated because he was trying to use these chopsticks to eat. These three foot long ones. Until he looked over to the man next to him and saw how he was using his chopsticks to eat. So the real is this. How did the traveler eat the meal that night? Okay. Leaving suspense. Now you're probably going to think about the riddle instead of the sermon. But that's a risk I hope to take that you will still pay attention to God's word. Uh, riddles are fun. They're innocent, right? The worst that could happen, you answering that riddle, is that you may say a silly answer. Somebody may make fun of you. Like, that's a crazy answer. There's really no consequences to that riddle. Now, let's take a sharp turn. There's a riddle that's been going on since the beginning of time. A question. And we're still looking for the answer. Well, a lot of people are looking for this answer to this riddle. And here's this one. How can you and I have true love? See, the riddle about chopsticks 
has no effect on our lives. But how we answer the riddle, the question of how you and I can have true life or true love will really affect our lives. Is the answer to this lifelong riddle found in family, friends, hobbies, our favorite sports team, food? What is the answer to this lifelong riddle of true love? So I did the natural response uh, when we don't know the answer to something. I Googled it. I Googled how to find true love. The very first article that popped up is what I clicked on. It was actually published March the 5th, so really just a couple weeks ago. So it's a pretty relevant topic. This is what the article was titled. Ten things you need to know about true love. So as I was looking through these ten things, I was like, okay. Article, teach me. How can I find this true love? I got to number three, and I'm like, okay. Number three of this article was true love is not demanding. Like, okay. I like that. Number seven, true love is friendship. Like, okay. I think relationship is vital when we're talking about love. But I got to number 10, and I just had a pause. See, number one through nine was building up to the big reveal of this is the ultimate thing that you need to find true love. This is number 10. You are the love of your life. I paused because as I just sat there and read, like, okay, you are the love of your life. What number 10 is really saying is what you love, what you love is true love. And as I began to think about my life, I really was not satisfied in number 10. If you're telling me my entire life, my entire identity of finding love is in me and me finding my own true love, I'm like, I begin to take a catalog of my life and I quickly realize that what I love is exhausting. It's demanding. Right? My love of wanting to be approved, gosh, I have a desire to be approved. I've been backwards so that people will like me and it's exhausting. I'm like, is that true love? My desire to be comfortable? I'm like, is that really true love for me? But what if I tell you the answer to this lifelong riddle of how to find love is the exact opposite of what that article just said? Well, we have to look at something more eternal. We have to look at something that has always been. Something that has always been sustaining the alpha, the omega, the finisher, the ender. We have to look at the great I am, which is God. We really want to grasp the idea of love. It begins with God, but specifically we need to look at the triune God. The Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. So that's actually what we're going to look at in our passage this morning. Of how how does God, specifically God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, all play together for us to have this true understanding of love and what to love. 
And what we will see is kind of interesting. Each piece of the Trinity is almost revealing a new aspect or a new character of what love is. So our main point this morning is this. True love is rooted in God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. True love is there. So this morning, I want to invite you, if you have now found 1 John chapter 5, I want to invite you to stand with me this morning, if you are uh, physically able to stand. Uh, We stand in reading of God's word because we believe this word is true. It is deserving of reverence and respect. So let's read the word of the Lord together this morning. 1 John chapter 5, verse 1 through 12. All right, verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Verse 6. This is he who came by the water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify. The Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe in God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Church, this is the word of the Lord. And all of God's people say, praise be to God. You may be seated. So we're getting close to finishing our sermon series in 1 John of what's love got to do with it. There's, there's actually one more sermon Uh, in our series and what we've been really doing we've been unraveling one word love what is love and what we've seen John do in this book is that he's almost like was holding up this word love and each passage just spinning it and we look we were looking at just a different aspect of what true love really is so so far in our series we saw that love is joyful love brings life Love pushes us to love others. Love is not deceitful, but love is truthful, right? And we saw how all these ideas of love is centered on God. And the reason why we need this series is like, just like the article that I mentioned and referenced earlier, and and like all the outlets of social media or news, when we walk in the hallways at work or at home, like wherever we're at, We're hearing this idea of of love and we need to know, all right, is this the love I need? 
And so often when we hear this worldly love, it goes straight back to what that article was talking about. It's a self-love. It's you selfishly finding what you desire instead of going outward to the Lord. So before we actually start really unpacking our sermon and this passage this morning, we need to lay out one massive foundational truth. And that is in verse 1. Verse 1 is, a, is like a Lego block that, that really builds verses 2 through 12 that will help us understand. So let's look at verse 1 of chapter 5. It says this, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Okay. So, so for us to, to spring our love forward into God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, this is the foundational truth. It is first, we need to know Christ, right? We need to know who this Christ is. And we're really going to unpack that in our second point. But just, just filter everything through this passage of like, this is for those who are born of God. And for us to know true love is for us to actually have to know Christ. All right, so that's the, that's the, that's the earth-shattering statement is that we can be born and called child of God for us for those who believe in Jesus, all right? So there's our foundational piece. So let's look at our first point because that verse one is, is basically saying when we submit to Christ, these things are followed. So point one, loving the Father and obeying commandments. Loving the Father and obeying commandments. When, when you think about rules and commandments, they, they can kind of be kind of weird, especially as kids. Uh, one thing that I, I kind of see, and just really from my own life, and this is not necessarily like an absolute statement, but as kids, we're either a rule follower or a rule breaker, right? You, you know what kind of kid you were. Like, I was pretty much a rule follower. That was me. I was terrified to break rules, but as I think about, like, why are we rule followers or rule breakers? There, there's typically something beyond that. See, I was a rule follower because I had a fear of disappointing, disappointing people, right? If it was my friends, my family, my teachers, like, even now today as an adult, like, I don't want to disappoint people, so I'm just going to follow rules, right? Where on the flip end, if you're a rule breaker, it's not typically you don't really want to disappoint people, but you think rules, it's an authority issue, Right? You think these rules are restricting something from you. Right? These rules are causing me to lose my freedoms. Like, no sign, I want to go 100 miles per hour so I can get where I want to quicker. Right? Like, you're a breaker because they're restricting something from you. Right? You know who you are. You're a rule follower or a rule breaker. But it's going to be helpful to think in the context. Again, these are not necessarily absolutes. Like you can be a mixture of both, right? But like if you're a rule follower, it typically stems from, like I was just saying, disappointment. Like you don't want people to d disown you, okay? And for us who are rule breakers, again, like we want to control our life. Like that's the motive of us breaking rules. Like we want to control our lives, so we need to listen to this call that, that John is going to tell us about true love and loving God. And part of it is actually in obedience. So let's see what he has to say here in verse 2. Verse 2 says, By this we know 
that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. So John right here is juggling two truths. He's juggling this truth that when we love God and obey him, it actually pushes us to love others, right? Like you can't separate these two truths. I think it's kind of interesting though. What kind of love is John talking about there in verse 2? Notice that what John is talking about in verse 2 is not a self-love, but it's an outward love. It's a love for others. It's a love for God. Right? So, so right here in verse 2, right from the start, like this idea for us to find love, it, it is going back out. It's going back to the Lord. So John will now take it a step further in verse 3. Look at verse 3 with me. It says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. So, so what on earth does this mean? All right. All right, for me to love God, like I need to obey his commandments and, and that makes me love others. Like, like what does all that mean? Well, we really need to understand what are commandments. What, what are these commandments that John is actually talking about? When we think of commandments, we can think of the Ten Commandments. Right? In Exodus chapter 20, uh, God gave Moses the law, the Ten Commandments. If we're not careful, we can go to Exodus 20, we can look at the Ten Commandments and just think of these as just a list of rules. Like God's just giving me a list of rules to like cause me not to enjoy life. All right? That's like a default answer. But actually something amazing happens. I mean, amazing happens when God gives the Ten Commandments. See, it's actually beyond these rules. When God gives the Ten Commandments, what he is doing, he's actually revealing his character. He's revealing who he is. The Ten Commandments, the law of God, is the revelation of God. So what do I mean by that? How does the Ten Commandments reveal God's character? How does the law reveal God's character? Well, let's, we won't do all ten, but let's just do a few. So the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. All right, how does that reveal God's character? Well, it reveals God saying that he's the only God. You shall not have idols. Well, what does that reveal about God? Well, God's saying, I am powerful than all created things, right? (laughs) Number six, you shall not murder. Like, what does that reveal about God? Well, God loves you, that God is love. And actually, Jesus will take that a step further and say, like, even if you have hate in your heart, you're committing murder, right? But God has this massive amount of love for us. And and number 10, like you shall not covet. How does that reveal God's character? Well, it reveals that God is pure and perfect. That that we don't need other people's things or other things to know to be satisfied in God. So we have to stop thinking of the Ten Commandments and obeying God's commandments as just a list of laws. But actually, here's the amazing thing. When we are loving God and obeying his commandments, we're actually becoming image bearers of God. We're reflecting the very image who God is. So when we love others, we're reflecting the love of God. When we are not taking any other gods before us, we are showing that there's only one true God. When we don't covet, we're showing that we are satisfied in a pure and a perfect and a holy God. 
Do you see the correlation there? When we obey his commandments, we're actually magnifying who God is. See, it's so much more than just a list of rules. Jesus actually will help us with this. He actually will take all these laws and commandments and put them into two brackets. In Matthew 22, 36 through 40, this is what Jesus says. Teacher, which is the great commandment of the law? And Jesus said, here's the first one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So essentially what Jesus is saying is all of, our, all of what God has called us to be can be boiled down into those two thoughts. With everything I do, am I loving God am I, and am I loving others? And if you think about it, every sin that we commit is either disobeying God's commandments and is either following into the, the category of like, I'm sinning against God or I'm sinning against others. So let's back up. Let's back up to what I was talking about at the start of this point where are you a rule follower or a rule breaker? Now we're really going to start searching our hearts here in a second where if you're a rule follower, it could be tempting to look at the commandments of God and be like, all right, God, I'm following your rules. Look at me. I checked the box of reading the Bible. I checked the box of praying. I gave money to the church. I went to missional community. I actually listened to another sermon this week, God. Do you you see all that I am doing? Because the reason why you're checking off boxes is that you have a fear that God will just disown you. That he will disapprove you. Right? If you're like the rule breaker... You may think like, God, I look at all these commandments and all I see is that you're trying to control my life. You're trying to tell me how to spend my money, God. You're trying to tell me what my eyes can watch on TV. You're trying to tell me what to do, right? It's a a complete authority issue in God. It's a complete lack of control. And we need to know the motives of, of why are we wanting to love God? Because if our motives to love God is so that he won't disown us, or if our motive is just completely ignore the rules because he's keeping all authority from us, then we're missing the complete picture of loving God and obeying his commandments. Whichever way we approach God and obeying his commandments, if we continue the path of, of like just trying to find approval in God or you're just running from God and just trying to have control, it is exhausting The reason why that way of living is exhausting is that there's going to be a constant trail of guilt behind you. Being created as God's image bearers, you were created with the purpose to not sin, to reflect a perfect God. And every time we sin, we're choosing to not reflect God. And there's just guilt after guilt after guilt. So the way that we can test the genuineness of our faith, test the genuineness of our love for God, can be at verse 3. It says this, And his commandments are not burdensome. When we look at all these things that God has asked us to live, when we gladly surrender to God the Father in total dependence on him, it is joy. 
that fills our lives, not guilt. And the reason why there is joy, look at verse 4. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Do you see the joy there? The reason why we can go to God with with a love to obey his commandments is that through Christ, he has already given us victory. He has already given us approval. He has already been, uh, has already drawn us in as his son and daughters for those who know Jesus. So who can take away the temptations of our sin and help us to fight against our sin? Who can help us to pursue a life of following the Lord? That's what we'll see in our next point. Point two, loving the Son and receiving life. Loving the Son and receiving life. Before we look at this life that God gives, we first need to look at the warning that John is going to give us. So look at verse 12 with me. Look, look at the verse uh, right after the comma. It says, whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Sorry. Read verse 12 again. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. When we deny Jesus, we're actually choosing the path of death. When we are continuing to choose uh, to put our love in sin and continue to place our our love in the world, we're actually not choosing life. We're we're choosing death. And that's what John wants us to see here. A a verse that really paints the picture for those who who chooses the path of of sin and the path of the world uh, is Ephesians 4, 18 through 19. Uh, When I read this verse, just listen to the descriptor words. Of these two verses, Ephesians 4, 18 through 19. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to their hardness of heart, they have become callous and they have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy, to practice every kind of impurity. So when we're trying to answer the question, what is love and finding true love? John was telling us, it's in Jesus. But when we just pause and take a quick snapshot of, of news and social media and hearing what people are talking about, like, it doesn't seem so loving. It actually kind of resembles what Ephesians 4 was saying. It kind of seems darkened, alienating, hard of, hardness of heart, callous. They've given themselves up to sensuality, to practice every kind of impurity. The way the world is living is exactly the way that Paul was describing in Ephesians. It's the way to death. And here's a warning that should just make us run straight to Jesus. Look at verse 10. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. And here's the warning. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. Church, we can't miss that. What's John saying there? Like, what John is saying, 
So we have people all around us. We have family. We have friends. We have our coworkers. We have our neighbors. And if we're not careful, even, even ourselves, where we will wake up, we'll live out our own lives, we'll live out our own desires, we'll do this, this self-love thing that this article was talking about, we'll continue to push into that. Day after day after day after day after day. And then one day there will be a day where our eyes will close here on this earth. And they will be opened in the judgment seat of God. And then they will have to stand before God and own for the rest of the eternity that they had made God a liar. There will never be escaping that truth. When they're in torment, when they're in hell, the worst part about hell is knowing that there is a glorious God. But yet you will have to own that you made him a liar. Pendulette, a magician, an illusionist, he's an atheist, says this. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell, and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think it's not really worth telling them this because it makes it socially awkward, how much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them? Church, this is what John wants to see in our passage. That when we love Jesus, when we love God the Son, that there is life. But something better than just just life. We're talking about eternal life. A life that where we get to, for eternity, experience the riches and the joy of the Lord. Where we get to experience the satisfaction of God himself. Where we get to know and see the holy God and the glorious God. Verse 5. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Going back to that Ephesians 4 passage, the people who are, who are callous in heart, who are alienated, the way to overcome that, if you don't want to live that way, it is there. It is in the Son of God by believing in Him. Church, a God that is dead will give you death. Right? A God of phone, a God of money, a God of sports, a God of family. Like, those may be good things, but it will give you death. But a God that is alive can give life. And we know that our God is alive because when we look in Scripture, when we look at God the Son, what we see is that three days after his death on the cross, that there was a victorious resurrection. So since God is alive, therefore he can give you life. That's why the resurrection is so vital for our faith. With the promise that one day we too will be resurrected like him. So for us to have this life and and to overcome this world. Just one more time of repetition. Verse 5. It's the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God. That's it. This life, this love we're trying to find is not some rocket science formula, but it's a simple faith. It is belief in Jesus. 
So when, when Jesus, when we love Jesus, he doesn't just give us his life, but this eternal life. So the more that we, we push in with Jesus, the more we center ourselves in the gospel, the more we get to experience the warmth of Christ, the, the riches of Christ. And what this eternal life means is that starting today in this broken world that we live in, that means we get to have joy We get to have hope. We get to have peace. We're able to look and process things that's happening in this world and and still have comfort knowing that there is a sovereign God. That should help us wake up in the morning, church, knowing that, that the joy of our salvation is in the Lord. Knowing that Christ is not dead, but he is alive. And there will be one day a beautiful hope where we too will be with him forever in eternity. By no means does believing in Jesus exempt us from all of life's difficult trials and worries and tribulations. You can look at Jesus' life. You can look at the apostles' life. Jesus died. A lot of the apostles died, were martyred for their faith. doesn't necessarily mean that we'll have an easy life. But what it does mean is that when life seems its hardest or at its best, that at the end of the day, that no one and nothing can take the life that God has given us in his son. Praise the Lord for that. So we've looked at God the Father and loving him and his commandments. We've looked at loving Jesus because Jesus has died for us and the life that Jesus gives us. And there's one more piece to the Trinity. Point three, loving the spirit and knowing truth. Loving the spirit and knowing truth. So have you ever had a moment where you just said, I can't believe this is true. Like no matter how hard you ponder it, you're like, wow, did that really just happen? Uh, A similar thing happened to me when I was a kid. I was staying with my grandparents one night and my grandparents said, all right, Chapin, it's time for bed. And I was super little. I was like four or five. Like I was really little. And it's like, all right, Chapin, time for bed, go to bed. So I went to bed. Next thing I know, I was waking up, right? Woke up to us pulling in to a massive water park. Like the first thing my eyes see is this massive water slide. And as a four-year-old, that's like, what? Like, what just happened? Like, I was just in bed watching Greece, and now I'm here, like, at a water park. Right? I was so confused as a kid. Well, I was like, I was like, Nana, what happened? Like, how did we get here? And I thought we, like, teleported. Like, I had no idea what went on. She said, well, your grandpa picked you up at, like, 4 a.m., and we placed you in the backseat of the car, and there was, like, it's like a mattress back there. They had it so cozy and comfy, so I didn't wake up uh, <laughs> on driving to the water park. I couldn't believe it. Uh, two things about that story. One, if you want to steal me, you can do that while I'm asleep. Definitely learned that then. But number two, a little bit more seriously, uh, I needed the truth of my grandma to bring clarity of how we got to the water park, Right? The more we know and the more we have truth, the more clear we can see situations. That's what the Spirit of God does. Right? When things seem fuzzy and like, can I really believe that? Can I really believe Jesus died for me? Can I really believe in the resurrection? It just seems too hard to believe. That's the role of the Spirit. It actually gives us the confidence that we get to have 
The Spirit reveals the clearer picture of who Christ and who God is. So when John was writing this book, 1 John, he's actually addressing a major false teaching of who Jesus was. What the false teaching was is that they were teaching that Jesus, that there's the Spirit of Christ that came to him at his baptism. And right before Jesus died, that Spirit left. So what that means is that there was no Savior on the cross. If the Spirit left God before he died, that there was no God who died for our sins. There would be no forgiveness of sins. That is a huge gospel issue. So what John is doing here in this this section of Scripture is saying, no, 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 no. No, who died on the cross was actually Jesus. He was the Son of God. And the way that we know he was the Son of God is here in verses 6 through 9. It says this, This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by water only, but by water and the blood. And here it is. And the Spirit is the one who testifies. Because the Spirit is truth. For there's three that testify. The Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. So what is this truth that the Spirit is testifying? What is this truth that the Spirit is revealing? Well, thankfully, John also wrote the Gospel of John, right? There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The same John who wrote this wrote the Gospel of John. So in his Gospel, John 19, 33-34, just listen to how similar this language is to the verses we just read. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. And here it is. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. Two things. One, John is addressing this false teaching. He's saying, no, Jesus, who was on the cross, one, he was fully man. Water and blood came out. But two, the reason why that we know that he was the son of God is because there was the spirit who can testify to that. The spirit who can bring truth to that. And again, we can see that in verse 10. Look at verse 10 with me. Whoever believes in the son of God has the testimony in himself. So when you're, when you're, when you're just doubting God, when your faith is lacking Remind yourself of the Spirit, that God has given you the Spirit. The same Spirit who who lived in Jesus is now in us who believes in Him so that we can be reminded and encouraged by our Savior's death and His resurrection. Do you see the beauty of that? When you love the Spirit, it gives you your confidence in your faith. It gives you the truth of our faith. But there's an adversary. There's someone who is roaring and prowling around like a lion who wants to convince you the truth of the Spirit is actually just lies. Right? Satan. So have you ever been spiritually stuck? Maybe right now you're spiritually stuck. Like you're like, all right, God, I mean, I've done it. I've done all of what you want me to do. You still feel distant. You still are way out there. God, you fed me to the wolves. God, I've listened to many sermons this week. I've listened to the Christian music. I've prayed, but mm -mm, nothing is happening. 
You're just in this constant cycle of spiritual darkness. And the lie Satan wants you to believe is that that's the life God wants for you. That God wants you to have this lacking, joyous life in the Lord. That's that's what Satan is trying to put in you. And I I wish that there was some magic pill that we can take to fix our spiritual stuckness, if that's even a word, to become spiritually unstuck. The answer to our spiritual, I'm saying again, stuckness, being spiritually stuck, the answer to that is actually here. It's the answer that you may not want to hear. But it's what he gave us, which is his spirit. It's his spirit, church. When you feel alone, when you feel worthless, when you feel unlovable, the spirit of God can remind you of God the Father who gave up his son for you. When you feel like this world is just heading to just death and hopelessness, the Spirit of God can remind you of the eternal life that you get to have in Jesus. Church, love the Spirit of God. We talk a lot about God the Father. We talk a lot about Jesus, and we need to. But some reason, we've we've just allowed the Spirit to be quiet. We've quenched it. Allow it to breathe life in you. So when you read the Bible, allow the Spirit to refresh you in the eternal Word of God. When you go to Him in prayer, allow the Spirit to intercede on your behalf and be refreshed and renewed in your relationship with God the Father. The Spirit is truth, church. The Spirit also can remind us of the faithfulness and the promises of God. One of the promises of God that that just helps me in those seasons of feeling spiritually stuck is Ephesians 1.13. So if you're you're in that season, uh, be encouraged by the Lord. Ephesians 1.13. In Him you also... When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. And here's your promise. We're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. What that means is that no one and nothing can ever take away your Christ. Nothing and nothing can take away what Christ did on the cross for you and for me. Nothing can take away of the love of the Father. You are sealed. You are His. Be encouraged in that church. So how are you going to respond to the Trinity? Are you going to pursue in surrenderance to God? Are you going to obey his commandments? Are you going to push in and loving him and loving others? How are you going to love God the Son? Are you going to finally hang up the hat and try to figure life out on your own? Or finally pursue the one who has already figured everything out and take his life, his eternal life, believe in Jesus? What are you going to do with the Spirit? Are you going to take the truth of the Spirit? Relying on the Spirit's comfort and power in your own life? Or are you going to continue to run to the lies of the world? 
Continue to run to technology, to sports, to your family, to, to money, whatever, whatever fill the blank is for you. Are you going to run to the Spirit for truth this morning? Church, true love is rooted in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Let us pray. Father, how, uh, how undeserving we are to be able to have you. Father, daily we are choosing the path of sin. Father, daily we choose not to obey you. Daily we choose the life of the world. Daily we choose the truths of the world. But yet, knowing all of our mess-ups and hiccups, you still had sent Jesus to die for us so that we can know what true love is. Father, I pray that this morning that, that you use your words to change our hearts. Father, I pray that, that if we don't know you, that, that if we have fallen out of relationship with you or if we just never had one to begin with, that today is the day that we find love, that we find you, Lord, that we, that we see Jesus. Father, bring your spirit to us. We need its truth this morning. We ask this in your name. Amen. This morning, we're going to continue our time of reflection where we just get to just push a brief pause uh, where we get to think about the word of the Lord and think about this Trinity, that what we saw in our passage this morning. To help us with that, Proverbs 3, 2 through 4 says this. Let not steadfast love and faith, faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. When we think about our passage this morning, there's a lot of things that we have written on our hearts. There's a lot of things that we have bounded around our neck. A lot of things within the world that has convinced us that this is what love is. So this morning, let's just take a brief moment and just confess. Confess the areas of our lives that we have not been loving God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit in. And just plead with him to continue to work in our hearts this morning.